0: You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Our players want to play,
1: our coaches want to coach, and our fans want to watch. We're going to be able to do all these things now, and and that's why it is a celebration. Uh, And I believe, uh, and and very strongly, that the state of Nebraska, Nebraska needs football. And believe me, uh, in the world I live in, football needs Nebraska.
2: And welcome here to this edition of the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, Nate Klaus, unless you have been hiding in a bunker, which some of you may have been, um, the Big Ten Conference football is back. As you just heard, uh, Bill Moose, the the league announced on Wednesday morning, bright and early, uh, that they will be coming back with an eight game schedule. Kicking off Friday, October 23rd and Saturday, October 24th, it will be culminated by a week nine, a championship week on December 18th slash 19th, where teams will be slotted up one verse one, two verse two, three verse three, all the way down to seven verse seven. Um, So you will see nine games being played across the league. The only caveat, no fans, um, no bye weeks. So. Uh, you will play these games this year um, with zero fans other than a, a parents in attendance. I, I joked to somebody, though, for Nebraska, they've got 150 players on the roster, so they'll have an advantage by having the most parents in the crowd because they have the largest roster um, in the Big Ten Conference. But, guys, Robin Wachett, Nate Klaus, we get football back. It has been a emotional, draining 30-plus days we get it back, uh, but there's a lot of red tape, Robin, tied to getting football back still.
3: Yeah, I mean, I, there's definitely a sense of relief and I'm sure joy to an extent that uh, there will be football played in some capacity uh, in the fall of 2020, which uh, you know a few weeks ago looked like there was absolutely no chance. So uh, that's the good news. Now the bad news is Nebraska and all the other re- members of the Big Ten – are essentially going to have to walk through a minefield, so to speak, to try to make it from start to finish through this nine-game schedule. That uh, you know, hopefully they can. But you know, there's it's a really fine line they're going to have to walk with the the protocols and rules that have been put in place as far as you know the testing and uh, you know percentages of, of positive rates and and all that stuff that they have to maintain in order to continue to play from a week to week basis. It's going to be tough, and it's going to be uh, stressful uh, for everyone involved uh, from now until the, the the finish of the season. But now, I guess, bare minimum, at least we get a chance. They get to try to play, whereas before the Big Ten wasn't even going to provide that opportunity, uh, at least they were able to uh, concede that they made the wrong decision, even though they won't admit it, uh, and now are giving you know Nebraska and everybody else a chance to at least attempt to play a 2020 fall football season.
0: Yeah, that, that's the good news. Uh, but like you said, Robin, it, it, this is not going to be easy it, because there's zero room for error as we enter the you know this. Uh, adjusted season if you will and, and the and the crazy thing about it is there's still five weeks until we play football so we're sitting here five weeks from Saturday yeah five weeks from Saturday so we're sitting here talking about it but I mean and yeah I'm excited as anybody to have football but I'm tempering my expectations or my enthusiasm on this whole deal because I'm not convinced that that this is all gonna go off without a hitch I, I, I feel like um, you know, I feel like everyone has kind of stacked the deck to make it so there is zero room for error. There's no bye weeks. There's, there is, you know, with the testing um, that, that everyone, all the, those requirements that everyone has to meet, there's very, very little room for error before they pull the plug on this whole deal. And, and my fear is, and maybe it's just me being pessimistic with the way this whole thing's been handled, but my fear is that they say, well, okay, well, this is not going to work, but we tried. So maybe next year.
2: You're listening here to the Husker Online Show, and yes, some of these testing uh, regiments are are very, very um, complicated, Robin. I know you broke it down, Um, the positivity rates in a community, the positivity rates in a locker room. Now, the, the daily testing won't go into effect until September 30th. A lot of that is the Big Ten doesn't have the program fully secured. Kevin Warren was asked... Which program the Big Ten has used, and he didn't answer the question. Uh, he shocker asked, asked directly
3: yeah, shocker. that, and skirted the issues. And
2: you know, there, there's some backstory to that. I mean, we know the White House offered that a couple of weeks ago. They Big Ten did not. The Detroit Free Press said the Big Ten did not want to take that because they didn't want the political attention um, by getting politics involved by taking that testing program. So they went out and got their own program. My question is: Nebraska got their program on their own. in a a few days. So Central Arkansas had a program. You you just wonder why the Big Ten wasn't working feverishly on getting the rapid testing program back um, or getting something set up until really the Pac-12. I want to say it was not this Friday, but the Friday before, the Pac-12 announced their program, and then, boom, the ball started rolling Um, you know, that rapid testing was the way to go and that's the way to play football safely.
3: Maybe it had to do with just the volume of tests needed because it's not just football that gets it. It's every fall sports. And so maybe that number was, you know, a bigger chunk than uh, they, they could get on hand. But anyway, that's that's just a hypothetical. But back to the. Uh, positivity rates and things that they're going to really be monitoring from a week-to-week basis. Hey, you mentioned there's two, two two separate categories. There's the team positivity rate, which is, um, I think, just players and coaches and anybody that's going to be on the practice or game field uh, on a given day. And so for them to be good, it's, you know, 2% or less. For them to be uh, in the orange, so to speak, which uh, they have to, quote, proceed with caution and enhance COVID prevention uh, – <laughs> <laughs> to To prevent liability, uh, that goes from two percent to five percent uh, for a team positivity rate. And if you're above five percent, then you're in the red. And if you're in the red, the dreaded red, you must stop regular season practice and competition for a minimum of seven days and reassess metrics until improved. That's pretty ambiguous, because I mean, who, what does that mean? Until improved, uh, under under whose evaluation? And so. That's a really scary thing about this whole deal, where not only uh, do you have that situation where if you get a a player uh, team positivity rate above five percent, which I think we did the math on a hundred fifty man roster, about seven guys, about seven or eight guys, and somewhere in between there, that's not a lot when you when you think about it. So there's a really high risk of that happening. Uh, But then. Any player that tests positive is out a minimum of 21 days, two weeks for the the normal quarantine, and then another seven days to reacclimate back into, into football. So in a nine-game season, one positive test eliminates you for a third of the year. Think about Adrian Martinez exactly. or a key guy. It's a huge deal. So, I mean, that's a major risk that we're facing here. And so then... Then there's the population positivity rate, which, which I
2: don't agree with this at all. Yeah, no. they
3: they clarified that it's not like the what Lincoln's numbers are because
2: right? like the prisoners just got tested, right. and that, that drove the rate up. So does that factor right. into right. this?
3: Ronnie Green clarified that it was about like just your, your campus, your campus. Yeah, basically your 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 campus population, where it goes beyond the people that are at practice and at games. It goes to your your academic staff and, and all that stuff. Basically, anyone that has interaction with your players. The, those numbers are given a little bit more leeway, obviously. Uh, so to get in the red, that's 7.5% or above. So really still not that much more wiggle room when you think about it. So, I mean, this is going to be very difficult. And I mean, how
2: transparent will they be exactly. with that data and those numbers? And
3: how,
0: how can you like accurately track that? And, and know that that's what the the rate is. Like,
3: you're going to require – I mean, I, I guess I just don't understand. Like, if you have seven well, – And then there's the risk of false positives. Look what the NFL did. Yeah. Remember when they had that run of false positives and guys were supposed to be out? Okay, so a false positive now is all of a sudden the guy's out three weeks or misses a game? You know, I mean, there, there's a, a, such a slippery Can slope. Can you test but,
2: out of a false positive? So let's say you test falsely positive. Yeah.
3: then And you, how many posi- false how many positive or negative tests do you need to count out of it a positive two test? days in a row? Yeah. So I mean, what, what happens if your false positive comes up on Friday? You know, like, are they going to there's just so many questions that we won't know the answer and, to. And it's going to be a constant battle just to get a team together uh, from Monday to Saturday. And you hope
2: you have a good relationship with whoever your testing person is, because that guy. Has the keys to your program no for, the, for yeah. the next nine weeks? No um, whoever the lab coat guy that the Big Ten sends to you, and someone tells me Kevin Warren's not going to give Scott Frost <laughs> the, the nicest lab coat guy in Lincoln.
3: Yeah, so I mean, I'm like Nate. You know, I'm I'm happy there's football. I'm you know just glad that this is finally, I guess, but we're not now yet. over. But this battle has only just begun. Now we're into the next phase of, okay, you got your chance. Now, how are you actually going to pull this off? And right now, there just are a lot of landmines in front of you from start to finish.
0: Yeah, I, I just I hate be, I hate feeling negative or or and I don't want to be negative about this. I'm it's hard not to be. It's 2020. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> thank God the 2021 is is uh in you know in in sight here. But um, I I just I'm I'm trying not to get overly uh, amped up about this I'm you know I'm taking it one day at a time to me maybe the most thing you know the thing I'm most uh, excited about is the fact that we have something concrete to at least talk about now something we're not just speculating like well we um, said that back in August. yeah too. I know <laughs> we, 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 we were saying that for about 24, 48 hours or whatever it was but uh, yeah hopefully hopefully that's the case going forward here uh, for the next few months as we actually have something concrete to talk about. Yeah, you
2: just think about August they had a schedule that was 10 games over 16 weeks. And here we are. Now they're going to play nine games in yeah. nine weeks.
3: It was full of flexibility and yeah. the ability to, to actually like give yourself a chance to uh, handle hiccups along the way. Now you have a schedule that has zero room for error, where Worth- games will be forfeited, and you give yourself no chance to make up those games and still remain part of the college football playoff equation. And but, why? Yeah, I, for no reason. Like, no, absolutely yeah, no there
0: reason. There is no reason. Like, no one there's – no, there's absolutely no reason why.
2: I mean, at this point, you hope – a lot of your key guys have had COVID because you'll be able to get through this a lot easier uh, because there's only been one known person in the world or the U.S. that's gotten COVID twice. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, if you've had it, which who knows what that data is for each college football team right now, but you heard Ed Orgeron say, uh, we think most of our guys have already had it. (laughs) Um, That's my best coach-o for you. That's good. That was pretty good. That that got people fired up. But I I think, you know, you're going to see – Um, some of these Big Ten teams. I'll be curious too, guys, like the Purdue's, the Jeff Brahms, who were really pushing this winter plan, the P.J. Flex, who really were against it. There are going to be some teams that aren't ready to play. And part of it to me, why we're playing on the 24th versus the 17th, I think there were – and we're going to get more into this, but there were some concessions that had to be made to play. And I think one of them was no fans because – and we'll talk more about that later in the show – Um, Nebraska would put 40,000 in there by November. That's a
3: competitive advantage because there's other states that either can't do that or uh, don't want to do that.
2: And then the other thing is some teams aren't prepared to play, so they had to go an additional week for those teams where, in a perfect world, I would have liked to have seen a group of teams start on the 17th and give them the 24th off and then a group of teams start on the 24th. Um, That would have at least... Given the league another week of inventory but we can get into that more guys i'm going to bring in glenn snodgrass though next um he has been really big behind the scenes pushing uh the parent movement 12 of 14 big 10 parents groups uh, led the charge we're going to talk more to glenn about what this meant for them getting big 10 conference football back you're listening here to the Husker online show
0: You're listening to HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. And we're back here on the Husker
2: Online show. Sean Callahan now pleased to be joined uh, by a very special guest, Glenn Snodgrass, who really has been one of the guys behind uh, making the noise, keeping the ball in play to get to where we're at today. Uh, coach Snodgrass, uh, also the head coach of York High School, his son Garrett, a redshirt freshman here at Nebraska. Uh, I'm sure today was just a relief um, to, to get the news that we will have football back on October 23rd, 24th here in the Big Ten Conference.
4: Yeah, for sure. There was definitely a little bit of... it's. It's been a little frustrating for a while now, and last night was probably the height of the frustration, but... Um, to get good news this morning when we when I got to work was definitely exciting and uh, I'm really happy mostly for those players and coaches who get a, get out there on the field and do what they wanted that what they wanted to do all along but I'm also happy for the, the entire state who. Um, really wanted Nebraska football pretty bad and now that we know we're going to get it here in about a month or so it definitely is exciting.
2: And I know Glenn they're going to they're gonna really say the medical breakthroughs are why they made this decision but I, I wrote this today and I'm curious your take on this. If Nebraska and Ohio State aren't making the noise they're making to at least keep this fight going 12 rounds keeping the ball in play do you think we're at where we're at today right now?
4: You know I No, I don't. I really don't. I I know that they made the comment early on that they were surprised at all the uh, pushback that they had gotten for this. And, you know, I I think they thought when they made that decision, people would all just sit back and be happy with it. And, um, you know, I I think football is a pretty big deal to a lot of people. And I got to give, you know, a lot of the credit for Coach Frost right out of the gate being the one. To, to stick his neck out there and, and let people know how he felt. And I know he was fighting for what he knew was best for the players and he knew what was best for the team and what he knew what was best for the entire state. And he took so much criticism for that, but he never backed down because the whole time he knew what was best for those players. And he was willing to take that criticism. And man, it just, I think it kind of emboldened a lot of people. You know, I know it, I know it uh, got us parents, excited about taking a next step and I think the other group that you really gotta give some credit to is the football team. Um, you know, I, I wanna I wanna give credit to those eight especially who had their name on the the lawsuit uh for having the guts to, to show leadership in this situation, but not just them, the whole team that was that was behind them from day one and um, it was very difficult for those boys to, I mean, just imagine being a 19-year-old kid in the middle of a pandemic trying to get your uh, college degree and trying to compete on a Division One football team, and then, oh, yeah, you're going to go out there and sue a major uh, behemoth like the Big Ten. I mean, that's, that's not easy for a 19-, 20-year-old kid to do, and for those boys to show that leadership, I just couldn't be more proud of them um but again i don't want to just single out those eight boys i want to i want to tell how proud i am of the entire team so it's there's been a lot of people with their hands in this and and you could even say the whole big 10 parents united group but the nebraska group in particular um they have fought very very hard for this and never gave up and it's it just feels good at the end to know that we're going to hopefully have football in the month.
2: And we're joined here by Glenn Snodgrass, uh, father of Garrett Snodgrass uh, who helped lead Nebraska's parents as uh, they fought for a return to play. And and you mentioned the parents United. I thought that was a big, part of it there was a I think a time where you almost had all 14 parent groups if, if correct me if I'm wrong Glenn um, and that had to get the attention of the league as you guys started organizing forces and really unifying your message um, about why you think you should be playing football
4: yeah and I think that was the big thing of Um, at the beginning, there were a lot of individuals who were upset about this. But the more we started unifying, the more we started getting groups together, you know, there were separate parent groups. And when we got a nice Nebraska group together, that voice meant something. Um, But then when we got, we ended up with 12 out of the 14 parent groups together and between emails and texts and Zoom meetings. I mean, I don't know how many hundreds of different parents we had from different colleges together. But when you saw the 100% completely aligned message from parents all over the Midwest that we're the ones who know what's best for our kids, and we we feel like the best thing at this point, with all the information we have, is to is to let them play. And once that message was aligned with all those groups, I think it, it's something that they had to to sit up and listen to because in the end who who are they representing they're representing you know the students and in this particular situation the student athletes and um they're they shut this down for the mental and physical well-being of the kids well you know almost every parent out there um, felt like the best thing for their mental and physical well-being was to be playing and so um, and I know I've said this a lot but you know, we were nervous when we got, had our first Zoom with, uh, at first, it was only 10 groups with all the ego, egos and different agendas and different uh, feelings about this. I was nervous about it. But when we got on that Zoom, it was the most seamless thing. I, I, could, I was shocked at how easy it was to come to a consensus because every one of those parents had exactly the same feelings on this. And that's what it made made it even more easy for us to push forward with it because we all wanted the same thing. And so, yeah, having, having 12 out of the 14 parent groups come together and fight for this was, was great. And man, it felt, it feels really good to kind of feel some unity with all those different groups and to meet a lot of these parents of the kids that were, we see out there on Saturday. So it was kind of a neat thing getting that big 10 parents united group together.
2: Well, Glenn and you have an interesting perspective because not only are you a father of a current Husker player, you're head high school football coach as well. You've coached your team through three games already. You've gone through uh, training camp uh, to get ready for those three games. What have you seen just from your preparation and coaching with kids and a team? Obviously, you're not going to be able to test daily like the Big Ten's going to require, um, but what, what's it been like for you kind of preparing a football team, and how do you think that will translate over to what the Big Ten's going to be doing here?
4: Well, you know, on a much smaller level, It was, uh, you know, I I think we're seeing a similar thing. Obviously, we're not going to have the ability to test like they are. But we had a few cases of kids on our team. But every one of those cases came from the summer. They came from get-togethers. that were outside of the school, outside of football. Since we started football season, we have had zero cases because these kids are together. We have our protocols here at York, which are pretty strict nowhere near as strict as they are at the university but we have our protocols our kids are together as a team and they know they have a responsibility for their team so they're going to be a little bit more careful when they go out so i just find it really interesting that you know we had cases here at york but since our football season has started since practice has started we have had zero issues we've had nobody sick uh, with covid And so I think at a larger level at the university, it's the same thing. The major cases that we saw down there were when the kids went home for a week because everything was shut down. I think if we never would have shut down in the first place, we would have seen far fewer cases down there. Um, And so that's just one of many reasons we feel like them being um, fully a part of that team and fully engaged with their protocols and their testing and their medical experts is, Absolutely the best place for them. And oh, yeah, no one has ever proven that a football game and the contact that they have in those games is going to give them any more chance of of contracting COVID. So at least as far as I know. And so, boy, we, we really felt strongly that that was the best place for them and the safest place for them.
2: We're joined here by Glenn Snodgrass, uh, the father of Garrett Snodgrass, who helped organize and, and play a big part in Nebraska's uh, parents group. Uh, Glenn, i got to ask you this. I don't know if you have an answer or know the answer, but will the current lawsuit that, that the Nebraska players are involved with, will that still continue or will things um, die down now that we're playing football on October 24th?
4: Well, that's something that we're going to actually meet here soon this afternoon and discuss. Um, We're gonna get together with the parents, the kids that are on the lawsuit um, and our lawyers, and we're gonna decide how we go forward with this. Um, I I just will say, I don't know exactly what we're gonna decide, (laughs) excuse me, but I do know we're not in this to win some legal battle battle of discovery over some documents that in the end, I really don't care about. Um, We're in this to get the kids on the field we're in this to get Nebraska playing football again and not just Nebraska, but the entire big 10 to be playing football again. And right now, at least we've got that. And that, that was absolutely our major goal. Now we want to, I also think we want to make sure that something like this doesn't happen again, you know, that they are transparent in the future, that they do uh, follow the protocols that they need to follow um, in, in future events that might happen. But in the end, like I said, the major thing that we wanted, I think, right now we've accomplished, and what we decide this afternoon, I'm not sure, but um, you know, we'll make sure it's a consensus. And the the most important one is what the players want. What those kids want is what we're going to do going forward, and we'll find out here later today.
2: And finally, Glenn, uh, they they announced October 23rd, 24th as the start date. They said no fans, but parents will be able to be at the games. Do you think that those are probably just some concessions that had to be made in order to get this deal done where, you know, I think everybody like Nebraska would have liked to play on the 10th or the 17th. Obviously, Nebraska would like to have fans. Ohio State would like to have fans. But in order to to flip all these votes and kind of get it to where we're at today, do you think um, both sides had to kind of make some concessions to get to this point?
4: Well, you know, I don't know all the details on all that stuff. I'm not sure if anybody does outside of that room where they made the votes. But I have to think there were some serious compromises. You know, I know there were teams that wanted to play in two weeks, and there were probably teams that didn't want to play at all. So I think anytime you make major decisions like this with 14 different people that have to come to a consensus, there's always going to be um compromises that have to be made and that was probably one of them and there may have been timelines as far as when they can get a hold of all the testing and things like that i'm just speculating on this but um you know we would have liked it to have been sooner you know and there's all kinds of issues with the very very strict medical protocols that are more strict than anywhere else in the country um but uh you know in the end at least they gave us a chance to get out there and play. And, you know, we love 90,000. There's nothing better than 93,000 in Memorial Stadium. But it will be cool for us to have the stadium all to ourselves. So that'll that'll be a little bit different feeling for us. And hopefully, you know, hopefully before the end of the year, if things go well, maybe they can, you know, ease up those restrictions a little bit. But that'll be up to people higher up than me to make that decision but boy if it's just some parents in that stadium we'll make as much noise as we possibly can that's for sure
2: well there's a benefit to having a roster of over 150 and nebraska will have more parents probably than anybody in the big Absolutely. 10 at these games
4: so yeah.
2: home field advantage well glenn uh, thank you so much and i know i speak for everybody in nebraska thank you for all you guys have done to to fight to bring football back and and here we are today we'll get football later in october so uh, thanks again coach for everything you've done here
4: Yeah, and I I will say it was very important for our kids and for the team, but for the entire state, I mean, the amount of people that reached out to me in the last month has just been overwhelming in support and just how badly the people in this state wanted Nebraska football. And just today, all the people that have reached out, I mean, I just feel so good for everybody in this state and with all they've been through mentally, the, you know, the excitement that there is, you can just feel it all over the state of Nebraska right now. And so I'm just so happy for all of them. And now we just got to keep these kids, get these kids going and uh, keep them under those medical protocols and get to playing football. So thanks a lot for having me, Sean. I appreciate it. And uh, all of us parents are excited.
2: All right. Thanks again to Glenn Snodgrass. Much more to come here. You're listening to the Husker Online Show.
0: You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. We've discussed that earlier. Uh, that's something
1: that we certainly w- would take a look at. We wouldn't want to have a repeat game. As we put this together, you know, this is the first time we've run through it. So a- as we put it together, I'm, sh- I'm sure that's something that we will uh, take definitely take a look at because you wouldn't want a-, a rematch.
2: And welcome back here to the Oscar Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Wachett, and Nate Klaus. That was Wisconsin Athletic Director Barry Alvarez discussing trying to maybe avoid rematches on December 18th and 19th. This segment of the Husker online show brought to you by our friends at Tanner's sports bar and grill. And let me tell you guys with no fans at Memorial stadium, uh, it's going to mean you're going to want to find a great sports bar to go watch a lot of these big 10 football games here coming forward. And, Uh, Make sure you get out to the Lincoln Tanner's location. It is fully remodeled, all brand new, new bar, new chairs, new tables, new carpet, new flooring, all new TVs. uh, And they have lots of plans in place here with football season. I was in there over the weekend and you won't even recognize the place. It is as nice or the nicest sports bar right now in Lincoln. So uh, make sure you get on into Tanner's and uh, get some wings and watch some football as it will be your home uh, here with this new big 10 schedule. But guys, you heard Barry Alvarez discussing the week nine. And I actually really like this idea. And, you know, I, I asked the question to Bill Moose, and they didn't know yet. But my guess is you're going to see week nine games at a neutral location, probably at least two spots. Um, but I think playing two December games outdoors is already a stretch for the Big Ten. Playing December 19th outdoors across the league is a huge gamble. So I would venture to guess you will see dome sites. Um, and who knows, maybe maybe there'll be flexibility for dome games if weather is really, really bad, um, you know, with no fans involved.
3: Yeah, credit where credit's due. Uh, this is the one thing maybe over the last nine months that the Big Ten has actually done right. Uh, I, I agree. I like the idea. I think it's fun. Uh, it gives you kind of an element of mystery as how your season's going to end and uh, creates, you know, some pretty appealing matchups towards the end of the year, especially when you get, you know, beyond the big 10 championship, but the twos versus twos, threes versus threes and whatnot, uh, kind of, you know, adds a little bit of intrigue there. So, uh, how they're going to do it remains to be seen, but, you know, given the circumstances, I thought that was a nice little wrinkle that the big 10 added. So, um, you know, they said there's not, they're going to do the best they can to avoid, uh, rematches. So that could kind of throw off the, the pairings a little bit. Uh, but you know, I think it, 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 Provides not only uh, you know a competitive final week for the Big Ten to maybe help. Uh, you know, the the standing of the league and if there are bowls or whatever it may be, but also uh, the TV uh, revenue, I think, is going to create a great opportunity for uh, those games to be showcased on, you know, a, a weekend where there's obviously not a lot there might of might only be one or two games yeah, on that exactly. weekend. exactly. So, I mean, you can really showcase the conference and get a lot of eyeballs uh, on your games and try to make back some of that re- revenue you would have lost, uh, you know, in, in other areas. Yeah, there's no doubt.
0: I, I think this is... By far and away the best chicken pie out of chicken, you know what, the that the the conference has been able to, to make out of this whole deal. I, I think and I, I'm actually really intrigued to see how it how it goes. Um, and and I do. I, I think that you know, given the weekend that it's going to be played, I think that it's going to draw an awful lot of attention, even to those middle tier or low lower games. I, I think that there's still going to be really, really good competitive games uh, across the board. So, um, you know, I'm I'm eager to see it. Hopefully, you know that that we you know we get to that point and everything. But um, whoever came up with this idea, um, you know, and, and I know Barry Alvarez was was the one who's kind of heading up that subcommittee or whatever. But um, you know, if it was a collective we that, that came up with the, the idea, then I mean, they deserve an awful lot of credit. Uh, or if it was one person who kind of came to the table with that idea and everyone else agreed with it, uh, whoever that was, I think deserves uh, you know. A, Uh, standing ovation because that's to me the the biggest brightest spot that's kind of come out of this whole deal
2: now it'll be interesting how they pick your four crossovers um nebraska was scheduled to go to rutgers and ohio uh, in ohio state penn state was supposed to come to lincoln as was michigan state um i mean conventional wisdom hopefully says nebraska will only get one of penn state and ohio state and then one of the other two in there between rutgers and michigan state assuming they keep those same four games now Indiana and Purdue have to be a crossover. That's locked in. So, um, you know, Purdue has already got one, and it will be interesting how, how they kind of go through the process. I'd imagine by week's end, we'll know that. My other question, still, guys, is bowl games. After the nine game schedule, what is the future of bowl games? We have seven of the 10 Power Five leagues or uh, group, I'm sorry, college football conferences now playing, only the MAC. Only the Mountain West and only the Pac-12 are not playing now. The Big Ten and the Pac-12 play multiple bowl games together. Will bowl games A even happen? Um, we 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 think that playoffs going to happen in the in the New Year six games. But what happens to the Florida bowl games and the other bowl games that are out there? Um, you know, will, will will the TV dollars make it justifiable to still play those games as well?
3: I mean, I think they would. I mean, obviously, just from uh, an execution standpoint, if you can play a college football playoff, you can play bowl games, uh, then it's just a matter of is the the juice worth the squeeze with playing some of those lower-tier bowls. And, you know, I think that this is a year where – you know, we've always talked about maybe just picking teams based off, you know the fit, the, the fit, and uh, you know how many people would potentially travel or watch the game. Uh, I mean, I think those types of factors might carry priority as opposed to how many wins you get or what your final record is. So if I mean they, if you're able to pick and choose uh, a little more selectively with you know, your bowl pairings, maybe it's a little bit more doable and you know maybe make it more regional or whatever it may be but you know i think that if you're going to head go ahead and play a season there's no reason that you can't play a bowl game especially if you give teams adequate time to um not only rest but kind of get your your situations in order with testing and whatnot uh i i I guess i just don't see the reason why not to have bowl games maybe not as many but at least some some pool of bowl games that are available especially if the The rapid
0: testing or or a lot of the protocols that the Big Ten is is going to be doing get picked up and adopted by the SEC and the Big 12, Uh, ACC, you know, I think – I mean, obviously they have their own protocols, but the Big Ten is kind of taking it up another level, and, and I wouldn't be surprised if those other conferences kind of follow suit there. So, um, yeah, I see no reason why you wouldn't have bowl games and kind of continue on with the season, at least one more game. You know, my I guess my biggest question is, what what's the threshold going to be to be eligible to play? I mean, is is everyone going to be eligible to play, or is it going to be, I mean, how, how are you going to kind of pick and choose, um, you know, what that what that magic number is or, or which teams kind of qualify for bowl games because not four, –
2: Four wins for sure. Yeah. I think I mean, four and four are three and five because, I mean, if, if you played a traditional non-con schedule, you could win three and then three league games and get in with a six-win record. But maybe they'll say, all right, the top – you know, if, if the Big Ten has nine or ten bowl spots, the top nine or ten teams go. Yeah. I mean, that might be the only way mm-hmm. – because they got to fulfill those contracts with the partners. I mean – it's not like those bowl games are going to want to stick a bunch of sunbelt teams in um, and everyone's going to have bad records this year.
3: Yeah. I mean, what constitute a bowl eligible record when you're playing eight games? Well, yeah.
2: and you're playing all league games. Exactly. Like you're eliminated in the big 12, as we know, tried to buy some wins. And they lost them all last week. <laughs> yes.
3: so, by the way, you watch yes, some of those games, though, coastal Carolina looked a lot better than Kansas. When I watched that game. Yep. Yeah. That was not a good start for the big 12,
2: but yeah, it will be interesting to see, Um, What direction? We do know this, that Bill Moose is pushing for Iowa as a Black Friday game. Um, Now, schedule number one of three. We've had three schedules now this year, guys. Um, Schedule one had Nebraska, Minnesota, Black Friday, and Lincoln. That schedule got canceled, as we know. Schedule number two, there were no Thanksgiving games, so we were going to be home for Thanksgiving. The magical schedule number three, we don't know yet, um, but we do know Thanksgiving is a part of schedule number three, and because there's really – no need to kind of keep Minnesota as the team. It wouldn't surprise me if Nebraska is traveling to Iowa to play Black Friday because both Gary Barda and Bill Moose want that game.
3: Yeah, if there's one silver lining, the last remaining legacy of Sean Eichhorst is officially put to rest. Well, so then
2: next year, though, we have to go to Minnesota.
0: <laughs>
3: yeah, maybe they'll adjust that schedule too. But. Uh,
0: I was going to say, at least you got somebody
3: in charge now who would fight for that Nebraska Iowa game instead of concept. being like,
0: okay, whatever you want. You.
3: So, yeah, uh, I mean, that at least gave you some insight as to what Nebraska prefers, but obviously uh, Nebraska's voice isn't always listened to in this conference. But, uh, yeah, I, I think that you know, the Purdue's um, AD, like you said, he, he mentioned that you know, they want to keep it similar to that uh, original schedule, maybe lopping off one of the divisional games. And so that gives you an idea of maybe the crossover opponents where um, more than likely Nebraska's going to get – Ohio State or Penn State.
0: (laughs) All
2: right. Well, we'll uh, continue this discussion more here. You're listening to the Husker Online show.
0: This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Kevin, um, this is Doug Lamaritz. I cover Ohio State. Why
3: was your communication with coaches, players, and parents so poor over the last month?
1: Doug, I appreciate your your question. Uh, From a communication standpoint, you know what, what I tried to do personally, and we tried to do collectively, is to make sure uh, that when we had things to communicate, that we did communicate. Um, and again, I mean, it's, you know, one of the easy things to do is to be able to turn around and look back and, and say, you know, what was poor, what was good. Um, again, as I said a couple minutes ago, you know, we're 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 in an environment right now where we. I know me personally. I wake up every day trying to be as positive as I possibly can, to do the best I possibly can for as many people that I can touch.
2: And we're back here on the Husker Online show. Robin, Nate, it's great to hear your voice. I hope you and your family are doing well. And I'll do my best now to not talk about anything. That's Kevin Warren and a nutshell. You
3: summed up that press conference pretty well, it? pretty much. <laughs> I know from now on, whenever I refer to Kevin Warren, I'm just going to say, Kevin. Yeah, Kevin. <laughs>
2: Kevin! The home alone, Kevin. Yeah. But, man, what a train wreck of a start for Kevin Warren. You can say whatever you want to say. I've been privy to some inside knowledge of what's going on. It has not been pretty behind the scenes for Kevin Warren, and he tried to keep a straight face up there. But this is a guy that freaking went on and said on August 19th, this decision will not be revisited. Kevin Warren, the decision got revisited, and they're playing football. So, Say what you want. He has done a horrible job leading this league, and he tried to No, no, no.
0: He hasn't led anything. (laughs) He hasn't.
2: And everyone's going to blame someone else. He's going to blame the presidents for pressuring him. Mm. The presidents are going to say Kevin Warren misled him. But the bottom line is the ADs and the medical people that they work with should have had the strongest voice in all this. Mm -hmm. Someone still needs to convince me why presidents who have no day-to-day interaction with the athletic department should have any involvement in this, should have any, you know, the say they did in this decision. It should have been an AD decision from the start, and they had a plan in place, and Kevin Warren did what he did and got us in this mess
3: yeah i mean you can blame everybody you want but the reality is that kevin warren's job is to be the face of this decision that is literally what he is there to do is to quote unquote lead the big ten conference and he has done as Nate said, anything but since the day he took over. And, you know, right or wrong, that he gets uh, the lion's share of the blame, it doesn't matter. I mean, that's that's what comes with the territory of that position. And uh, when you make decisions of the magnitude that he has, uh, you know, regardless of who's also inputting on those decisions – uh, you better be ready to deal with the consequences. And Kevin Warren was not. Uh, he made these decisions without telling anyone, without showing any transparency uh, with why he made those decisions to people that needed to know. Not just the fans and media, but people like athletic directors and presidents and coaches that uh, lives and institutions are being disrupted with these decisions. And the, that's kind of the the whole uh, hallmark of this this whole situation is that uh, Kevin Warren made a questionable decision, you know, with I'm sure other people involved, but then didn't explain to anyone why he did. In fact, he hid behind his little curtain in Oz and uh, basically d- d- tried to avoid this d- situation as long as possible until it would go away. Well, it never did go away because Nebraska was the squeaky wheel all along. Then all of a sudden Ohio State said, Yeah, you know what, you're right. Let's join in on this thing. And once Ohio State started doing it, it wasn't that something they could con- ignore any longer. And so this thing completely blew up in his face where less than a month ago, he was acting like this big authority. This one ought to be revisited. Yes, this end of discussion. And yet there he is, tail between his legs, going back and having fall football again. Well,
0: it's
2: great to hear your voice, by the way, Robin.
0: <laughs>
3: Thanks, Kevin. Kevin.
0: Kevin, answer me. <laughs> All right, Nate, let's hear your voice well, now. The, the thing that kills me about this whole thing is that Kevin Warren and and everybody else involved, all the presidents, you know, whether whether or not they should have been involved in the first place is is, you know, a discussion for another time. But they had how many months to to get contingencies in place and and to figure things out and, you know, and, you know, kind of visit all these different um, topics and yet nothing there was didn't seem like there was any sort of plan until like about three or four days before or between the the release of the schedule in august and then all of a sudden the postponement not cancellation but postponement of fall sports and then uh the amount of you know the amount of stuff that's been done behind the scenes between that point until now when they actually roll out the plan to play i mean it just it it makes you wonder what the heck has been going on who who is leading the show or or kind of um you know pushing the buttons or pulling the strings or whatever but um the frustrating thing about it is if you're the head football coach of a program in the big 10 and you're one of the last people, you know, within the, the inner circle to actually find out what's happening. Uh, that's got to be absolutely maddening. And, and I, I feel bad for the, the coaches and players to be in that position. Let's
2: call it what it is, guys. Kevin Warren, back at the beginning of August, he wanted to be a trailblazer. He wanted to be a leader. He wanted to kind of say, this guy made the decision nobody wanted to make. He made the tough call, and then everybody soon followed. Well, nobody followed. And other than the Pac-12, who always will follow the Big Ten, and the Mountain West, and they have different guidelines in those states. I mean, California and some of these places, they can't even go in their football buildings yet. So... I get why the Pac-12 canceled. They, they can't even practice or do anything because of Governor Gavin Newsom's uh, directive health measures there. Uh, but, yeah, this is a deal where he had a bad hand of cards. He sat at the table with it as long as he could, and they pushed it as late as they possibly could before they had to flip things back over, and then they found something that they could put this on. Oh, by the way, rapid testing, which Central Arkansas has had the whole time, by the way. Um, so say what you want they were forced into this because they made a bad decision and it. it, I don't care what anyone says. They're never going to say it publicly, but the league made the wrong decision. They had a perfect schedule in place to play 10 games over 16 weeks with lots of wiggle room. Now you're going to try to cram in nine over nine and, you know, have a a bunch of new testing protocols that won't really be realistic to follow. Um, But, you know, hopefully it works, but yeah, I've, I'll never, ever think that the league made the right decision back when they did it in August.
3: No, and I think they probably know that, but be the Big Ten's ego being what it is, no one's going to admit it. And even when they go back on this decision and turn, turn course and have football in the fall, like you said, they made it uh, as difficult as possible, and I'm sure that was by design to where uh, they left themselves with zero margin for error, where you were literally walking on a razor's edge just to get through a week uh, and no bye weeks, no bye weeks within a nine-game schedule and massive uh, sit-out time for any positive tests and, and all this stuff that is going to make it so hard for a team just to be able to fill the roster uh you know especially teams that don't have the luxury of a 150 man roster like nebraska does i mean there's programs within this conference that just don't have the resources nebraska does so while they might be able to get through uh there's gonna be some that just can't and so it seems like they're setting themselves up for fine you want to have football good luck try it see what happens and then when it fails we'll say we told you so and then we'll be right in the end
0: Yeah, I I think to me the best thing that came out of this is how you've got a, you know, a program like Ohio State and a program like Nebraska, um, you know, and I think when Nebraska first joined the Big Ten, Ohio State, Michigan, some of these other, you know, um, blue blood Big Ten programs kind of were like, eh, you know, Nebraska. But now Ohio State fans have come together and totally embraced Nebraska for, for the, you know, leading, kind of leading the charge and, and helping to get this done. I mean, my Twitter, I don't know about you guys, but my Twitter timeline is full of like Ohio State fans or, or retweets of, you know, people thanking Nebraska, thanking, um, you know, Scott Frost and, and the, the Nebraska p- uh, parents and, and the players and, And how, you know, anytime they ever come to Lincoln, they're going to be buying all Nebraska fans beer. And, um, you know, I I think that they've banded together and, you know, kind of – rallied against kevin warren and the job that he's done um and and to me if you're kevin warren how do you how do you survive this or how do you want to continue to be part of this because it has gone so poorly and you've handled it so badly that i I don't i mean i I would be looking for a different job if i were him
2: well it'll be interesting and uh we'll, we'll the can you continue this discussion more here next guys as we wrap up the show you're listening to the
0: husker online show This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Both Chancellor Green
1: and I pushed very hard in our meetings, respective meetings, that attendance should be based on local authorities, health officials, governments, etc. Again, in our footprint, our situation is different. That does not appear that it's going to be the case. Uh, Certainly did not want it to be a deal breaker. And uh, we're gonna think of some innovative ways to have our fans involved. Uh, We love our fans. They're the greatest fans in college football. Hopefully, uh, we can uh, get them uh, involved in in some innovative ways, and and we're already working on that. The important thing is that our fans are going to have Husker football. And uh, they're not gonna be able to be in their seats, hopefully just for a year, but we're going to need them now as much as we ever have.
2: And we're back here on the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin and Nate Klaus. That was Athletic Director Bill Moose discussing no fans. And it's definitely something you know Nebraska fought hard against. Um, But right now it's just going to be uh, parents and family members of the players. I'll be curious if it's limited to um, just four per player on a pass list or does it have to be a brother and sister or a parent? how they will make those determinations of who gets in the games, because there'll be a lot of uncles that appear otherwise um, uh, on who gets in these games to watch in person. Um, But it is going to be interesting to not have fans, but I I do think it was one of the concessions that had to be made. I think there were certain things that these presidents that were no vote said, Hey, I'll vote. Yes, but we can't have fans. We had to have obviously this crazy rapid testing protocol program in place and we can't play too early in October. Other than that, let's play football.
3: Yeah, I mean, this was something that Nebraska and Bill Moose, Ronnie Green, Ted Carter, they fought as hard as they possibly could for. They thought that the decision on fans should be made by the individual institutions and uh, you know state you know, guidelines and all that stuff. That if you have the ability to have fans in the stands, why would you not? Get that chance, uh, you know. Especially when you're talking about uh, the, the massive loss of revenue that's already occurring. If you have a chance to even make some of that back, uh, while also you know providing your fans an opportunity to see your team play, why not? But clearly, uh, that was a sticking point for I'm sure several teams, other teams in the league. That I think Nebraska just conceded this was not going to be a deal breaker for them. Where you know they, they had the chance to get football. And if it meant not having fans in the stands, that was a sacrifice they were willing to make. So it's unfortunate. Um, you know, I know Nebraska. If they were able to, would have had as many as they possibly could fit in Memorial Stadium. But at least
2: thirty thousand, as we know now. Yeah.
3: And now the other uh, element to that too is there's no tailgating allowed on campus. So this isn't even a deal where like the stadium club's going to have uh, you know a parking lot full of tailgaters or anything like that. Everything has to be. Off campus. So around the stadium, it's going to be weird. It's going to be great for the bars. Yeah, it's gonna be dead, But yeah, I mean, the the rail yard might actually get some uh, some boon back and downtown Lincoln and and all those normal off the grid tailgating spots. Those are going to be the places to be. So It's one of those deals where you just got to make the most of it for now, but certainly, you know, unfortunate that you know we get football, but nobody's going to be there to see it.
0: Yeah, I get, you know, where the position Nebraska was probably in, how they're, you know, they weren't going to give up their season uh, to to you know fight for having fans in the stands, Uh, and I totally get that. But at the same time, I guess I don't understand, you know, why they would. Um, why team? Why it was a sticking point for, for other teams? I mean, are they afraid that the fans would transmit COVID to their players? Or I mean, I, I, it just doesn't make sense to me if if the state and local officials, um, you know, were able to kind of have their have their their thumb on the, the current situation and in, in the respective college towns and say, okay, well, these are this is the amount of people that we're willing to, to let into an event like that. I just don't understand. Uh, to me, at least, it doesn't make sense how um, anyone else should. You know, that should be a sticking point for anyone. Well, else. Yeah,
2: I mean, I almost look at it as how the the government works. I mean, there's the federal government, but then states get to make their own state decisions, mm-hmm. and that that goes for COVID. I mean, the federal government couldn't put down a national mask mandate, or na- I mean, it's done locally by local authorities, local experts. And to me, the attendance thing, and that's what Nebraska has fought for too as well, like, hey, this should be our decision. This is our house, not your place. Yeah. Um, just because Rutgers, who, by the way, their statement, Robin, you read that to us earlier, it, it's it's pretty hilarious how there was not one word of excitement about coming back to play football for Rutgers because their president, a week ago, he made a really, really out there statement, kind of, he talked crap about Nebraska in there too and um, the COVID problems on campuses and et cetera and I don't think he thought a week ago they were playing football.
3: Yeah, it just looked like they just got hit with, uh, you know, punishments from the NCAA or something in the statement they put out as opposed to getting a chance to to have a fall football season. They basically said uh, this decision was made and we are going to follow it, but we also reserve the right to uh, evaluate everything on a week-to-week basis, and if they're experiencing any negative changes, we will not have to play. So basically they're already putting it out there that they are reserving the right to not play on any given week if, if they don't feel comfortable. So that's, you know, we talk about all the issues involved here. It goes well beyond just what Nebraska is able to control and their testing. I mean, what happens if they play Rutgers and Rutgers just says, oh, we, we got a couple positives, we're going to shut down for the week. Nebraska doesn't get to play a game. And so, you know, it's just add it to the list of concerns about how we're going to get through this thing unscathed.
0: Yeah, and that, and that goes back to my question about, okay, well, what's the threshold for a possible, you know, bowl bid? you know if, if you've got if you've done everything possible to be able to play this year but yet you've had an opponent or two that drops off or that cancels or, or bails or whatever um and and you only are able to play maybe six games and you win two or three of them um you know should you be penalized for that by not being able to go to a bowl game i i just i, I don't know there's there's still a ton of questions here that, that need to be answered and that we really probably won't have the answers to until until we well, actually get in the thick of this whole deal. And
2: you talk about bowl games, guys. I mean, those are week-long trips. How do you travel and bring the safety protocols and everything in place for a week? And odds are, by January or late December, we're going to be in a different place than we are now. There might even be a vaccine in place by that point. Who knows? Um, but, yeah, today in September, uh, a bowl game situation feels – um, there's a lot of questions to me, you know, as far as yeah, what Nate said. I, I think what you do, Nate, I still believe if you have eight or nine spots, the top eight or nine go. Yeah. I mean, I, th- I think that's the easiest way to do it because the six-win thing doesn't really matter anymore at this point. And, you know, will some bulls not be able to make it anyway because of no fans? Mm-hmm. I mean, they make their money off tickets. And if you're not going to allow fans, how do you have a bowl game?
3: Yeah, that's why I don't think there'll be nearly the number of bowl games, but I think there are bowls that – will be able to sustain, especially if they get the right matchups. And, you know, if, especially if fans are able to go to those games. And so there's a lot of unknowns about how they're going to, um, make it work logistically. But I do think that there's an opportunity for it to happen, especially when you kind of eliminate the previous standards of X amount of wins gets you into a bowl games, you know, in a season where you don't even control whether or not you play, uh, in some cases, you got to kind of leave it a little bit, uh objective so to speak to where you can look at a a team's record uh beyond just wins and losses whether or not they're a deserving noodle bowl yeah it's gonna be it's gonna be fun um interesting
0: and what whatever whatever you want to call it uh because this is i mean buckle up because the the whole this whole situation is not going to be dying down if anything i think it's going to be uh, be having some more twists and turns to the, to the entire deal. Um, and again, we're five weeks away from even thinking about seeing anybody strap up the pads and and get after it.
2: Yeah, guys, it's been peaks and valleys really since March and we're at a peak again today and let's hope that the valleys are limited. Let's
3: Let's hope this peak lasts a little bit more than 72 hours. Exactly.
2: All right, well, I'm sure by the time we get done taping, we're going to learn a lot more. Uh, so make sure you're on Husker Online as we'll continue to fill you in, and we'll know more about basketball as well. Robin will keep you up to date on that. And next week in our show, um, we will try to break down more about basketball.
0: Thanks again for joining us this week on Husker Online, your authority on
4: Nebraska athletics.